Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The global legal battle between Apple and Qualcomm is escalating. And with Qualcomm's core business model and billions of dollars at stake, it promises to be long and nasty. Qualcomm is accusing Apple of lying to regulators to push them to investigate the chip maker and of threatening it to cover up the use of inferior parts in some iPhones. These counterclaims were filed in response to Apple's $1 billion antitrust lawsuit accusing Qualcomm of illegally trying to control the market for chips and charging at least five times more than the going rate for patent fees. Here to help us analyze these competing claims are Matt Larson, Bloomberg Intelligence Litigation Analyst, and Andrea Matrician, professor at Northeastern University. Matt, let's start with the basics. Explain why Qualcomm is allowed to charge phone makers like Apple, whether or not they use its chips and what those charges are. Certainly. So Qualcomm's business is fairly unique. It's it's twofold. The first part is the chipsets. They sell chips that uh, um, that go into wireless devices and basically allow the phones to communicate with uh, with radio and wireless networks. The other half of their business, um, about a third of their business by revenue, realistically is patent licensing. So Qualcomm invests a tremendous amount of money in doing research and development and then participates in standard setting organizations that essentially dictate what kind of technologies are going to be put into uh, 3G standards, 4G LTE. Um, You know, there are groups talking about 5G. Uh, So Qualcomm participates in these groups. It contributes the technology that it's done uh, that it's developed through its research programs. And then in turn, once companies start implementing those technologies, uh, Qualcomm asks for compensation in the form of patent licensing. So it says, we'll let you use these technologies. Uh, in fact, you have to use them because uh, they're required to communicate with other devices. And in return, you pay us licensing fees for the use of our patented tech. So Andrea, before we get to Qualcomm's lawsuit, it, that follows on the heels of a lot of litigation by Apple. So what what is Apple suing Qualcomm about? Andrea? Voice their repeated frustrations about their uh, uh, allegedly not getting a stream of payments back from Qualcomm in accordance with what were the previously stipulated deal terms pursuant to their agreements, which uh, the court will undoubtedly dig into the minutia of those contracts and will learn a lot about the nature of this relationship as the the case moves forward. Um, and so this relationship between Apple and Qualcomm also was part of the concerns uh, that are re- reflected in the Federal Trade Commission's recent and activity filing uh, against Qualcomm in California, accusing Qualcomm of anti-competitive practices in violation of Section 5 of the Fair Trade of the FTC Act as well. So, Matt, tell us about Qualcomm's claims that Apple threatened it and lied to regulators. Yeah, as a result of this twofold business, uh, namely, Qualcomm says you can either buy our chips or if you buy somebody else's chips, you're going to have to pay us because those chips use our technology. Um, that rubs a lot of handset makers the wrong way. Um, and so Qualcomm has been subject to 
um, to investigations uh, in the EU, uh, in the, the KFTC in Korea. Um, there are their investigations it was subject to in, in China that came out with a large settlement uh, deal with the NDRC that basically set licensing rates. Um, and one of the allegations that Qualcomm has set forth, you know, kind of in defense of itself and is at striking back at Apple in this lawsuit is saying that Apple um, participated in these investigations, specifically the KFTC investigation, um, inflated facts, uh, kind of made a uh, made a case that wasn't based in how Qualcomm's licensing and chip business worked. Um, and Qualcomm is basically alleging that Apple came forth um, and saw this as an opportunistic uh, endeavor whereby it could effectively negotiate against Qualcomm's uh, high royalty demands by putting pressure on them via these uh, the, the KFTC, the FTC, um, and similar investigations. We've been talking about the billion-dollar legal battle between Apple and Qualcomm over loyalty, over royalties. And just today, BlackBerry announced that it was awarded nearly $815 million after an arbitration hearing concluded that Qualcomm had been overcharging for royalty payments on smartphone technology. Our guests are Bloomberg Intelligence litigation analyst Matt Larson and Professor Andrea Matuishan of Northeastern University. Matt, is the BlackBerry Award a good sign for Apple in its legal fight with Qualcomm, or are the circumstances different? Apple will certainly parade this decision uh, in its dispute with Qualcomm. Um, Apple's main contention, you know, despite all the the antitrust concerns, the the key behind the Apple Qualcomm dispute, in my view, is the royalty payments. Um, Apple would love to negotiate a very low direct license where it, it uh, pays App, uh, Qualcomm directly for the use of its patents, um, and in doing that. It's going to need to show comparable licenses that have low royalty rates. And so by BlackBerry, um, apparently in its arbitration, securing a lower cap on Qualcomm royalties, um, that's something that will, will certainly be highlighted by Apple and, uh, and will be front and center in its, uh, in its contentions as the Qualcomm dispute moves forward. Uh, but again, you know, that dispute's going to be uh, a long time in the making absent some kind of settlement. So uh, it'll be lurking in the background, and we may, we may see this again in a, in a year or a couple of years. Andrea, a lot of the time, actually probably almost all the time that you see this kind of litigation and counter litigation between companies that have had longstanding relationships as a business matter, it's really a breakdown of the relationship that's going on. And so if, if, uh, if as Matt says, Apple's motivation here is to try to lower the fees it's paying, what is, you know, kind of say, you know, if you look at the legal claims that Qualcomm is making, what are their, what's their position in terms of why they're really right here? So I think you're right that it is a flag that the relationship is struggling, particularly since Tim Cook made a statement that this was uh, a move of last resort to bring litigation. Reviewing Qualcomm's reply to the Apple pleadings, what we're talking about here is not simply a single contract. Even though portions are redacted, we can deduce that we're talking about at least seven different undoubtedly extensively negotiated agreements, and they'll all come to play when we try to reconstruct this relationship and as the court seeks to evaluate the different dynamics that were present in this um, set of exchanges and in, in these contracts. And it's, the allegations are everything from 
Apple seeking to uh, wind up regulators to bring charges and, and claims against Qualcomm uh, versus uh, Apple alleging that Qualcomm uh, sanctioned Apple for cooperating with regulators uh, by withholding the stream of payments that's the subject of, of, of Apple's suit. This is a very complicated set of business dynamics, and the reply brief from Qualcomm uh, reminded me a little bit of my first-year law student contract class because they raised uh, a whole host of defenses uh, that are very classic contract law defenses, so it will be interesting to see how this all plays out. Matt, Qualcomm's core business model is part of this whole lawsuit. Would it be, if Apple did win way down the line, would that business model be in jeopardy? That's the concern that a lot of uh, a lot of people who are watching Qualcomm have. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, roughly a third of Qualcomm's revenue comes from very high margin patent licensing dollars. You know, you're not making products. There's very low cost, um, and so as royalty rates go down, you eat into that high margin business. And I think that's what. Um, that's what people are concerned about: is is looking at uh, at Apple pushing back, kind of testing the testing the waters and patent licensing generally. A lot of the handset makers uh, are are being a little bit more defensive of their margins, uh, especially as we've moved from the earlier iterations of cell phones that really just acted as phones that connected to to radio networks, whereas now we've got. Um, basically handheld computers that we're carrying around. And we're looking at the advent of, of 5G, where pretty much every device is going to be connected to the internet. And so people who are making those products are saying, well, you know, the, the licensing that we're paying for some of these technologies should be a lower percentage of the overall device or capped at some set limit. And so when you're looking at Qualcomm, that's a concern is how much do those trends start to eat into its licensing business. Andrea, one of the interesting parts of all this is that the licensing from Qualcomm to Apple actually runs through Apple's subcontractors. Is it possible that this litigation is sort of the prelude to negotiating a more direct licensing deal between the two companies? That certainly will be one of the operative moving pieces here. So Qualcomm, in its reply, alleges that Apple has had opportunities to negotiate a direct license uh, or set of licenses with Qualcomm, and that Apple has not previously been interested in doing that kind of direct licensing. That's a question of fact that the court will need to decide uh, whether they the court believes that that is, in fact, the, the case. Uh, but certainly this may end up as the first volley across the court to trigger a renegotiation of this relationship. And that's something that courts sometimes do uh, in terms of handling complex litigation like this. Sometimes courts say to the parties, look, we're going to pause things here. You need to uh, talk to each other about this and uh, come back when uh, you've resolved this piece or that piece or uh, try to work things out uh, between yourselves, and uh, the court will get involved if it needs to, but to provide a nudge for a renegotiation of sorts uh, when the court feels that there's room for that kind of a renegotiation. I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. I'm sure we're going to be coming back to you with more chapters in this uh, long legal battle between Apple and Qualcomm. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.